I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Live Wire Radio. We're backstage, and we have got an amazing show coming up for you. We're talking about things being funny because they're true. We've got Mike Sachs here, a great writer. We've got music from Liz Weiss. And we've got one of the funniest guys that I've seen. Kurt Brownholer is here. Um, what's a funny, true thing that you've seen recently? That I've seen recently? I, you know, you try and help someone up the... Uh, if they have a, a, a stroller with them, you ask if, they, if you can help them up the stairs with the stroller. And I went down to offer, and I said, can I do this? And then realized there was no baby in the stroller. And then I realized that uh, her husband had the baby, and he was standing in front. He looked at me like I was a jerk. So then I just offered to just take the baby and walk up the stairs. And then all of a sudden I go from helpful to a creep who wants to steal their baby. But you got an ankle brace out of it, which monitors your oh, it's, whereabouts at all times. It looks nice, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a style statement. Yeah, I mean, it's sleek, it's yeah. black, it blinks. Yeah. That's cool. Everybody out there at the Alberta Rose Theater is going to get to take a look at it when we start this radio show right now. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Livewire! Yes, it's Livewire Radio from the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon with stand-up comic Kurt Brownholer, author Mike Sachs, and music from Liz Weiss. All that, plus comedy from our troupe, Truth Bomb and the Dirty Liars, and our house band, led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. And now, the host of Livewire, West Seattle Little League batting champion for the past 30 years, Luke Burbank! Thank you, Jason Rouse, and thank you so much to the Livewire band. Thank you, everybody, for being here. And we have a fun show for you. Uh, this hour of Livewire, our theme is it's funny because it's true, right? They always say that. It's funny because it's true. What they don't say is sometimes it's not funny because it's true <laughs> or maybe a little too true. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, I was invited to be in a comedy festival and I was very excited because the people that were in the comedy festival, the other comedians, were people I really admired. They're uh, pretty well-known, people that have been on TV. They all lived in New York City, and I wanted them to think I was cool and funny. And as you know, the number one way to make sure that doesn't happen is to try to pretend like you're cool and funny to a group of hip New York comedians. And the thing I was involved in was on stage, a group of us were playing Truth or Dare, in front of a crowd 
in a rock club. And actually, one of the people on stage was Kurt Brownaller, who's one of our guests tonight. So uh, he may have a recollection of this, too. But uh, I'm sitting there on stage, and the comedians, the real comedians, are so funny. They're just killing it, and the crowd is like in the palm of their hand, kind of like you guys are with me right now. <laughs> and um, you can feel it. And I, I was up there, and I didn't have anything really to offer in this truth or dare game, and I wasn't getting very many funny jokes in the mix, and I just felt like I wanted somehow to show that I was good at something, and then something magical happened, which was the dare came around to me, and the dare was to engage in a drinking contest with two of the other panelists on stage, and... To say that I wanted to demonstrate mastery in something understates how lucky this was for me that the contest was a drinking contest. This is like casually challenging Michael Jordan to a dunk contest in like 1992 if a dunk contest hurt your liver and ruined relationships. So I was really going to hit this one out of the park to mix my sports metaphors and uh, the contest was who could drink the most shots of tequila in one minute. And they bring out a tray with like 20 shots of tequila on it. And they start the clock. And I am draining them. It could only be described as Jordan-esque, really, what I am doing to this tray of tequila shots. Like, I am in, let's see, I'm in like shot eight. And the other people are just choking down shot number one. They called the contest at shot 14 because the other contestants were worried and it's worth noting this was 25 seconds in to the contest. And I am like, this is the greatest moment of my life. I look out into the crowd, which had an expression not unlike your expression here at the Alberta Rose Theater. It was not so much laughing as wondering, how does this work? Do we pump his stomach on the way to the intervention? Or do we just do it here? What's the process for this? This was an example of a time where something wasn't funny because it was maybe a little too true, right? And, um, I mean, the other flaw in my logic on this was that I then had to be on stage for an additional hour (laughs) just ham-boned. I have no memory of that hour of my life, but my guess is it didn't go great, uh, if I'm just guessing. Um, Like I said, maybe later Kirk can fill in some of the uh, details. But the good news, I'm really happy to report I've had zero shots before this show. I plan on having no shots during the show. So I think this is going to be one where we can actually focus on things that are funny because they are true. So let's do that right now. Let's get going with your first guest. (laughs) Comedian Kurt Brownaller is responsible for what has to be here at Livewire, our favorite Kickstarter ever. This is what he did. He raised money to hire a skywriter to spell a question out over Los Angeles. And the message was, how do I land? (laughs) He also, this is a thing he really did. He rode a jet ski down the Mississippi from Chicago all the way down to Mississippi to raise money to get goats for African families so he's not just in it for the laughs, people. When he's not being what one magazine deemed a modern-day Willy Wonka, Kurt's appearing on places like IFC, Comedy Central, Fox's Bob's Burgers, and many other swanky places, including right here on Livewire. Please welcome Kurt Brownaller. 
you. Thank you. Sweet jams. Sweet jams, guys. Uh, hi, Portland. How are you? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I, uh, I just recently got married. Um, no, keep it to yourself. It's just a pillar of our society, that's all. No, I, uh, but I proposed to my now wife, I proposed to her on a hot air balloon because I'm a romantic and I hate having money around. <laughs> and actually the real reason I did it was because for the past three and a half years, every uh, single time I'd ever say to her, like, hey, I have a surprise for you, she would always say, ooh, is it a hot air balloon ride? And I'd be like, no, it's not. And then I was like, this is going to be so romantic, it's finally going to be a hot air balloon ride. And uh, turns out, that was just her funny way of saying the thing she would like the least in the world. <laughs> so she had a panic attack for an hour. Because you can't land a hot air balloon early, you just got to wait for it to crash. Because that's how that invention works. I honestly, I thought it would be romantic. Guys, if you think it's romantic, do this simple test, all right? Draw on the ground a three foot by three foot square and then stand in that square with your back to your beloved because it's too small, you can't turn around while she shits her pants for an hour. Oh, and add a weirdo. Like a real weirdo. Like, oh, I don't know, maybe somebody who's dedicated their life to hot air ballooning? You know, a ballooner. Uh, or a balloonist. I don't know what you call them. Oh, a balloon pilot. A balloon pilot? A balloon pilot. I'm a pilot. Oh, of what? A balloon. And then have him rub up against you for an hour. Oh, also, add a flamethrower inches from your head. And are you in a super lightweight, unbreakable plastic box? No! You are in a basket made of turn-of-the-century lawn furniture. So if you think that's romantic, get into it, guys. <laughs> I'm excited to be married. My wife is wonderful. I'm excited just so I don't have to eat alone at restaurants anymore. I always eat alone at restaurants. I was recently eating alone at a Chinese food place. And guys, when I eat at a Chinese food place, I use the chopsticks because I respect people's culture. And the chopsticks are the gentlemen of the utensil world because every single piece of food needs to be individually invited to the mouth party. Ooh, single piece of broccoli. Would you like to come to the party? Yes, you would. Ooh, water chestnut. Whatever you are, would you like to come to the party? Yes, you would. Ooh, peanut. Would you like to come? Oh, peanut doesn't want to come. Oh, peanut's very difficult to pick up. Oh, peanut, you're being very difficult. And who's there? Fork is there. Good old American Fork. He's a good old boy from Kansas. He's just staring up at me like, what am I here for? Unless to help you. So I throw down those chopsticks and now I'm fork feeding. I'm just jabbing and stabbing and jabbing. Instead, it feels good, but that peanut still doesn't want to get out that fork. But who's there? Little Spoon is there. Little Spoon's a helper spoon. He gets in 
on the action. And guys, this is a Chinese food place, so there's definitely a serving spoon. So now, three minutes in, I've gone from using chopstick to just two spoons. Big spoon and little spoon helps it on and shovels it down. And I do not know why two spoons is not America's utensils. We do it in the bedroom, let's do it in the dining room, guys. Thank you very much. Kurt Brownholler, everybody, here on Livewire. Thank you. Um, so obviously, Brownholler is just some made-up Hollywood name. Yeah, you know, my original name was John Tim, and I was like, you know what? I want to stand out a little bit. Maybe I should get a name that's impossible to pronounce, and maybe sounds like I have a dirty butt. Have you ever in your uh, uh, entertainment career encountered a, like an agent or a rep or somebody who said you have to be Kurt Armstrong or you need to change that? No, I had actually talked to my ma- manager. I was like, maybe I should change my name. He's like, why? And I was like, you don't think it's weird? <laughs> but then uh, he's like, okay, if you want to. But all the only names I could come up with were like Kentucky Brown Horse. <laughs> Or Kurt Sherbert. Like, all of them were bad. So I was like, I'm just going to give myself a worse name. Well, tell me about your jet ski trip down the Mighty Miss. That was, yeah. So I jet skied from Chicago to New Orleans uh, in order to raise money to send 500 goats and 1,000 chickens to African families in need. Um, it, uh, it is a, it's a, you know, it's just kind of like the, uh, I guess I'm the uh, idiot Cheryl Strayed. <laughs> <laughs> had you ever been on a jet ski? I hadn't been on a jet ski for about 15 years. And I've never been on the Mississippi. You know what? It, you realize very quickly, because, you know, you start in the, in, in the Great Lakes, or I started in the Great Lakes, and Chicago River to the Illinois River to the Mississippi, and very quickly you realize that um, the industrial, like, like the Chicago, the Illinois River is an industrial waterway. No commercial traffic, it's just barges, and you're just miles and miles of just junkyards, uh, gravel pits, sand pits, gravel pits, and more junkyards. And you quickly realize that they were never meant to be navigated by a vehicle primarily intended for divorced dads to get drunk on and still seem cool to their kids. (laughs) Uh, How long did it take you? Uh, It took us seven days. It took us seven days. How many miles a day is that? Uh, We had to average about... We tried to get in about 300 a day. Um, which is a lot on a jet ski, guys. <laughs> it's like constantly doing squats uh, <laughs> while someone tries to rip your arms off. <laughs> and we had a lot of mishaps. We had a lot of mishaps, I'm not going to lie to you. We, uh, 20 miles in, uh, all the boats ran out of gas. <laughs> all of the boats ran out of gas. So the, did you have a support Boat? Yes, so I, have, I, I'm, I did this as part of, um, essentially, Comedy Central was documenting this whole thing, and we've turned it into a web series called Roustabout, which comes out January 26th, uh, and uh, so yeah, I had, a, I had a camera boat, and then I had a safety boat, uh, and then I had my jet ski, and there was supposed to be six gas stations along this first route between the Chicago River and the Illinois River, and all of them were closed, and we don't know why, and... Uh, so when a boat runs out of gas, it's not like a car comes to the stop. It just drifts into danger. 
And we actually had to have like a PA like run and buy, fi- go to a Sears like two hours away, buy gas cans, fill them up, drive back, and then jump over a fence and run through a field that's just ruled by rats and stand on the top of an eight-foot wall and throw gas down to our boat. Why will it... Why- this is the best part. While we're under, there's a thing called the fish barrier um, that's in the uh, Illinois River. And the fish barriers, there's a thing called Asian carp, which are an invasive species. They're coming up the Mississippi. And if they make it to the Great Lakes, they will decimate the ecosystem there. So what, what people have decided to do is their answer to this problem is they've just electrified the river in one section. So for about a half mile, the river's electrified. And I'm on a jet ski. And that's where we have to stop for gas. I really hope those kids in Africa appreciate their chickens. <laughs> and real, realize how dumb the adventure was to get it in the chickens. Hang on one second, Kurt. We've got to take a very short break. We'll be back with more Livewire from PR. We've got Kurt Brownaller here. Stay with us. The Livewire podcast is sponsored by Ergo Depot, letting you know you don't have to feel guilty for sitting all day, largely because you don't have to sit all day. Studies show that getting up and moving around for even a few minutes every hour makes a huge difference for your spine and cardiovascular health. Also, if you're away from your computer screen, it's significantly harder to Facebook stalk your ex. So that's kind of a win-win. To find furniture that improves your back health and your psychological health, visit ErgoDepot.com. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. We're here with the comedian Kurt Brownaller. We're talking about things that are funny because they're true this week. And what I love so much about your comedy is how true a lot of it seems in its own bizarre way. Like uh, the thing you were doing with greeting cards for a while. Oh, are yeah. You, I mean, was that just a one-time deal or is that like just a way you, you entertain yourself occasionally? I think it's still a way I entertain myself. I, what I would do is I would go into a pharmacy and I would buy a bunch of greeting cards and take them home and then um, change them inside so that there were jokes and then bring them back and just put them back in the piles. <laughs> um, like one of them was, I think uh, it, was a, it was a dinosaur. It was a kid, card for a kid who was turning three. And... Um, and she said, happy birthday. And, and I just wrote, like, one more year till memories. <laughs> You're like uh, the mom in Charlotte's Web. You're just sending these little comedy babies out on the wind. I don't know where they go. Let them live where they will. You just shot a pilot for Comedy Central that is now in, the, in their hands. Is, is that uh, the first time that you've actually been the host of what could be a TV show? I mean, is this for you like a really big, big accomplishment? It is. It will. I did host a TV show already uh, called Bunk on IFC. It's oh, a. Yeah. Uh, it was a. It was a parody of a game show. So it was a game show, but all ever all the contestants. There was no answers to any of the questions, and <laughs> all of the contestants were comedians. Uh, so it'll be. It would be my second show, but this would be the first one anyone would see. <laughs> Considering I asked you if this is your first show you're hosting, I think that indicates yep. what the awareness of Bunk was. Pretty much. But check it out. It's on Netflix, guys. I think you'll like it. Um, so you're a comic, which means you're legally obligated to also have a podcast. <laughs> it is. It, once you enter L.A. County, they yeah. just give you one. Yeah. yeah. It's like a Tamagotchi. Uh, you have to feed and care for it and keep it alive whether or not you want it. It's exhausting. <laughs> I was hearing from one of the producers that you were saying... You feel bad because the, the podcast for you is a thing 
you're always remembering, ah, I got to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I do honestly feel bad in a way about podcasting because podcasting is an art form. As you know, like you have a very popular podcast, right? Um, yeah, yes, it's, it's very gotcha. popular. <laughs> and it is because uh, I am I'm a comedian first and the podcast is kind of a way for me to still get my viewpoint out in the world. And so I always feel like stand-up's uh, the first focus and then podcasting. I'm always like, oh, no, I forgot to do the podcast. When in reality, more people listen to my podcast than have ever seen me live, you know. So I really should. Re- I, I've got terrible uh, priorities is what I'm saying. <laughs> We, we, we keep talking about things being funny because they're true. For you, is that an important part of your comedy? Because like, uh, some comedians will do jokes about things that have never occurred in their life. They're just a funny premise. seems like a lot of your material, uh, a la the, the hot air balloon, a lot of the stuff is really just pulled directly out of your life. Is that the stuff that you think works best for you? I think that I'm moving in that direction now, and, I, and, I, and I, it's something I'm learning. Um, I think before, I think when you first start off doing comedy, you're just like, gotta have these jokes that are weird and nobody's thought of this before and every, and then you kind of realize like, oh, actually, you don't have to have the most, or at least for me, you don't have to have the most absurd, weirdest premise, like a normal premise with a fantastically cool ending is much better, I think. That's where I, I kind of reverse my thinking on it. So we kind of, you get them in normal, and then we go somewhere fun. You see, where are you from? Jersey. Really? You, yeah. f- you, f- you sound like you have like a Midwest accent. That is so weird. I don't know. I picked up a way of saying like hats, and <laughs> I, that's, I think, maybe it. But that's just, uh, I just picked up that. <laughs> I say hats weird. You seem, people can't tell because this is radio, but you just seem like the most kind of corn-fed Midwest <laughs> guy. Yeah, I, I look like, yeah, I look like, you, like I'm coaching your baseball team, and you can ask me for a loan. It's okay. <laughs> uh... Did your wife say yes in the hot air balloon? No, she wouldn't turn around. <laughs> she was shaking the whole time. And then this, the weirdo uh, just kept just giving us facts about the valley we were floating by because he was just like, he knew I was going to propose. And he was just trying to do anything he could to get her to calm down, uh, which was just by spewing the most boring facts. <laughs> And uh, she refused to turn around. I kept rubbing her back, and she just, like, shaking in a, in a crash position. Like, she was ready to go down. Like, if thinking that, like, we're, like, a thousand feet up, but thinking, yeah. like, if she's flexing her legs, then yeah. she's going to survive this. Right. She's going to jump right before the elevator hits right, exactly. the ground floor. But um, so I had to wait, and uh, it actually turned out nice because I waited. We landed right next to a grapefruit um, orchard, and so we just kind of walked into the grapefruit orchard, and I asked, and she was just so happy to be alive. (laughs) And she said yes. Kurt Brownaller, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. In a nod to old-school gospel and soul records from the 60s and 70s, our musical guest's latest album was recorded live to analog tape instead of digitally, like the kids are doing today with their rocky roll. The result is a timeless sound with enough of a modern groove to keep it classically current. Here with songs from her debut album, There's a Light, please welcome Liz Weiss to Livewire.
Liz Weiss, and a bunch of other amazing people, the Liz Weiss players, right here on LiveWire. If you're a lover of humor, and if you're itching to find out how it works, author Mike Sachs is your guy. His two books on humor writing uh, have interviewed the likes of David Sedaris, Amy Poehler, Mel Brooks, James L. Brooks, total domination in the category of Brooks's. Uh, who are funny. Also, George Saunders. His latest book, which I have right here, is Poking a Dead Frog, Conversations with Today's Top Comedy Writers. Here to deconstruct comedy and ruin it forever, please welcome Mike Sachs to LiveWire. Welcome to LiveWire, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What do you mean uh, by the term poking a dead frog? Well, E.B. White, who was a, uh, an author for The New Yorker, um, was talking about analyzing humor, and he said that analyzing humor is like poking a frog and that um, the frog would die of it, and then there was nothing to be gained from it. So my, my joke was that here I am once again poking a dead frog, analyzing humor... Um, hopefully not uh, killing it in this time, but just just analyzing it in, to the point where it was uh, not dead. It's not a great show for frogs. I'm not going to lie to you. How did you get all these people to agree? I mean, the, the list is, is long and amazing of the people you've talked to in here. Amy Poehler, Mel Brooks, Mark Maron. How did you get them to agree to actually sit down and do interviews <laughs> for the book? Well, the trick was not to tell them how many hours I needed from them. I needed, for each of these interviews, it, w- it lasted up to... 15 to 20 hours, so I had to... Oh, wow. That poor frog. Well, that's what I mean by poking a frog. <laughs> um, but I had to be very careful as far as uh, to tell them what I need. You know, each of these are Playboy-length, Paris Review-length interviews. They're, they're quite intensive. These are not blog interviews. So I did need quite a bit of time, but the trick is to get them interested without telling them exactly what, what, what it entails. Like with Mel Brooks, I interviewed him for Vanity Fair, and by doing that, it gave me an in, and after that, I, would say, you know, I said to him, listen, can I then interview you for a few more hours to make it uh, long enough to put it into the book? And he said yes. But otherwise, it's very difficult to get these people. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to do, um, to get in touch. You know, they're very busy, they have a lot of things going on, and to, to talk with someone they don't know uh, with someone they don't know for 10 hours, 15 hours is not something they're dying to do. Uh, if there's one thing I learned from your book, it's that apparently Harvard has a monopoly on funny writers. Like half of the people in the book graduated from Harvard. What is up with that? Well, that's changing. I that mean, seems like the most unfunny place on earth. Well, have you seen most sitcoms? I mean, mo- <laughs> most of those um, writers come from Harvard Lampoon, but that is changing. I mean, that's the great thing about the internet is that you can be a writer in Kansas City and you can be on equal ground as any New Yorker writer or any Harvard Lampoon writer. They used to have um, a, a stronghold on, on writing for TV, I would say, in the mid-'80s onward, but that is changing now. You can be a writer for Twitter um, and you can get hired, which has happened for various sitcoms now. Right, well, you could be like Megan Amram from Portland, exactly. who well, that's what... was on Twitter writing uh, and got a job and also went to Harvard. She did go to Harvard. Yes. I did not know that. No. She was on the show like two weeks ago. Had the diploma with her, which was weird. 
little show-offy. But the fact that she was writing for Twitter and then got hired on Parks and Rec, I think, is an amazing thing. I mean, that, that did not happen before. You had to come up through the Harvard Lampoon before, and now everyone is, is sort of equal ground now, which is good. Uh, we're talking to Mike Sachs. He has this book called Poking a Dead Frog where he talks with a bunch of uh, comedy writers uh, who are writing for TV and film in different places. Uh, what do you think makes these people different? Because there are a lot of funny people out there. Is it work ethic? Is it... For instance, when you talk to Mike Schur, one of the guys behind um, Parks and Rec, he has so much sort of almost scientific theory about yeah. why scripts work and don't work. I mean, are these people just the funny people who are also harder workers? I think so. I mean, a lot of these workers are um, those who succeed never stop. And Mike Schur is an example of that. He, he write, wrote for SNL. He created Parks and Rec. He created uh, Brooklyn 911. And this is someone who... 99. excuse me. Who, 911, that was Shatner's show in the 80s. <laughs> the only show my Christian parents would let us watch. Really? Rescue 911. But Very interesting. <laughs> um, they're just workaholics. And they, you know, for instance, Mel Brooks, he is 87, 88 years old, and he still works very. I mean, when I called him, he was in the office working very hard. These people never stop. It's constant. It's for the love of what they do, the love of comedy. And it's not to be successful, not to make money, it's just what they love to do. And um, with Mike Schur, a brilliant guy, he could have gone into anything. He went into comedy. And this is someone who, um, as a kid, wrote down or transcribed sitcoms as he was watching them to see what they look like, to see how he could emulate that. And he mentions to you that he, as a kid living wherever he lived, watched watched every episode of, um, who was it, Empty Nest? Empty Nest. Well, his point was at that time that you had no choice. Right. He, as a kid in West Hartford, had to watch Empty Nest, whereas now the business has changed to such a degree where you can watch whatever you want whenever you want it. And um, that has changed the com- not only the, as, as far as being a comedy writer, but as a comedy viewer. Is that good for comedy in your experience of interviewing a lot of people who make comedy? The idea that there are so many things competing for someone's attention and eyeballs. Does that make the comedy sharper or is it just soul crushing for the people trying to make it? No, I think there's a lot more opportunities now to do what you want, how you want to do it. I mean, there's never been a better opportunity, better time to write what you want um, how you want to do it. You know, a lot of the comedy now is not appealing to millions of people. You can appeal to 15,000 people, but 15,000 are the right people who enjoy a certain type of comedy, and that, that's changed over the years. And, it's, and, you know, because of that, I think that gives a lot of comedy writers who like a certain sense, who have a certain sensibility to uh, go into uh, the field, not, you know, knowing they don't have to write for MASH, they can write for a show on Adult Swim at 12.40 a.m. Who are you most excited slash nervous to interview in this book? Well, Mel Brooks was a big one. I mean, my family, Mel Brooks was it. I mean, he, he was uh, the king, and um, he, he was very intimidating to... to, to to talk to him, but I actually, the, the first time I talked to him, he was, he was coming back from the dentist, which is very Jewish. I mean, he's a very, <laughs> it was like one of my family members <laughs> coming is back. Is that from a Jewish a... thing? To always be no, on the way back not, from the dentist? It's not, but to talk about it is a Jewish uh. thing. So, does, he, uh, does he still uh, do the thing where he uh, eats uh, his uh, dinner every single night with... Um, yeah. Uh, now I'm spacing on the other guy's name. With um, I know who you're talking about. The, Carl, Carl Reiner. Reiner, the they straight sit, man. They yeah. sit in... I don't know if it's every night, but they get together often and they watch movies. And it's usually movies that came out 15 years ago that they're not aware of. <laughs> that came out 15... But uh, yeah, 
the fact that these two get together every day, I think, is pretty amazing. And that's actually a really hot seat in Hollywood for younger comedians to go to Carl Reiner's house to sit with Carl Reiner and Mel Brook to watch them watch a movie and analyze the comedy. And talk about how the dentist was. <laughs> that's good stuff. Speaking of comedy writers, one of the people uh, that is featured in this book, Poking a Dead Frog, is a guy named Todd Levin, uh, who is a writer for Conan. And this is one of my favorite parts of the book. Todd basically submitted for the book his writing packet that he used to audition for the writing job. And then he breaks down what bits actually were good ideas and not good ideas with the benefit of hindsight. And we're very lucky to have Todd Levin on the phone right now. Todd, welcome to Livewire. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> Great. Um, I, you have to forgive me. I, I just got back from the dentist. So I'm a little woozy. You sound good, Todd. You sound yeah. good. He keeps very late hours. <laughs> um, I, this this uh, packet you submitted, Todd, it was so funny to me, but also the, the way that you break down what does and doesn't work for a show like Conan's show, I found equally fascinating. Some of the ideas I really liked, you basically point out, would not really work. You also talk about some of these characters. I mean, these were characters that you basically uh, were submitting... Uh, to prove that you could write funny characters, one of them, can you tell me about the jihadist with beautiful legs? Okay. <laughs> I think it's self-explanatory. Uh, <laughs> it, so I, it was, yeah, the idea is that it was a, <laughs> a jihadist that would come on the show and that he, he would open up his uh, jacket to reveal that he had a bomb strapped to him but he also would wear a very short short, and he had incredible legs and heels. And he was always angry that nobody would take him, his threat seriously because they were focused on his, his gorgeous legs. Um, let's talk about the... Uh, by the way, did that jihadist with the beautiful legs ever get made? Was it ever actually on the show? Oh, no. <laughs> I, in, in fact, very, very few things from, from that original packet were things that I ever even ended up pitching again when I got the job. You know, I think there were a couple of things in there that ended up on the show in some other form, but um, very few of those things. I, I, I'm one of those. I think you'll, you'll find this with a lot of writers. I really have a really hard time looking at anything I've written more than three weeks ago. Uh, when I was reading oh. these, I think these characters really stand up. I wish they would have been made. The other one that I was delighted very by was generous of you. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Amplifier, the human sound effects machine who just wants to talk about a recent personal tragedy. Yeah, that, that was me going dark, um, <laughs> which I think, I think I have a tendency to do too often. Um, but, that, yeah, the idea was that he, I was thinking of, like, a Michael Winslow, if anybody right. knows who that is. The guy from Police Academy. Academy who does, like, the helicopter <laughs> sound effects. Yeah, so the idea is that Conan would want him to do his stand-up, but he can't stop. He's too focused on something that had just happened that was very sad, <laughs> like a car accident. Like, he had just hit somebody with his car. And would he be doing so the sound effects the, of the car yeah, accident? Yeah, so that's the idea. He'd be telling the story of hitting a kid with his car and going to the hospital and watching the child die. But he'd be supplementing it all with sound effects like beep, 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 like that kind of thing. Um, um, did that one get made? 
that did not get made. Well, Todd, Todd Levin, thank you for um, sharing this with us and for adding it to the book. I, I don't think you have anything to be ashamed of. I think these are, these are great ideas. Good luck with the be, dentist. Thank you. Be gentle to Mike. I will. That's okay. Todd Levin, writer for uh, Conan. Mike Sachs is here as well. Mike's book is Poking a Dead Frog. Uh, you know what? One, one thing, we're, we're running uh, short on time, but I just want to throw a couple of questions your way because you do write for Vanity Fair, very famous for its Proust questionnaire. And so we wanted to give you a Livewire Proust questionnaire. Wow. Um, which uh, are things we made up, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm just going to fire a couple of them at you and, and just get the answer off the top of your head. Uh, when and where were you most happy with your hair? Besides tonight, you mean? Yeah, obviously. I was in a mugshot in the mid-90s. I was sporting the Rachel. <laughs> I forget what I was arrested for, but I did look good. Uh, what do you consider your greatest achievement as a dancer? <laughs> to use another reference, I was CNC Music Factory. Uh, gonna make you sweat. I was one of the dancers, also one of the original dancers in In Living Color, one of the Fly Girls. Oh, you and J Lo. I don't know who that is, but I was behind, um, <laughs> usually behind the pillar dancing, both in Living Color. Yeah. Mike Sachs, thanks for letting us poke you here on Live Wire. Thanks. That was Mike Sachs. His latest book is Poking a Dead Frog. You are listening to Live Wire Radio from Portland, Oregon, a land where hipsters and people who hate hipsters will someday battle in an apocalyptic showdown, which probably just means eyeing each other judgily on the Max train. Um, that's how we do it here in Portland. Live Wire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, whose milk is free of RBST. Because while recombinant bovine somatropin sounds delicious, it strangely may not be that great for you. Whole Foods Market. Values matter. More information can be found at WholeFoods.com. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. I am your host this week. We're talking about things that are funny because they're true. Um, although sometimes it turns out the truth is not actually enough and with some advice on how to tell funnier stories at parties, please welcome one of our writers, comedian Alex Falcone, to the show. Hi, Alex. Hi, Lucas. Uh, Alex, what uh, got you thinking about this? Well, so it's the holidays, or possibly you're in a rerun, and (laughs) so I've been invited to a lot of parties recently, I'm not bragging, and I've been standing in a lot of little circles while somebody tells me an ostensibly very funny story that is actually not cute or charming at all. And I thought I should come out here and talk to your listeners, talk to America, and tell them how to be funnier at parties. What is the, like, one single key to telling funnier stories? Lying. Just straight up lying? Well, look, I'm not listening to you at a party because I believe you are dedicated to factual accuracy. I'm listening to you because you said, hey, I've got a funny story. So just make my night lie to me. <laughs> like lie the entire story? Probably not the whole story, but especially at the end. Like if you have a story that's not funny at the end, just... Make something up. Like, you should never end a party story with, you had to be there. You're, yeah. 
I mean, you're a storyteller. Your whole job is to make me feel like I'm there. So that's how you do that. You could also throw in the, and then I found 20 bucks. That's like a kind of a go-to. Yeah, you can cheat. That's fine. You got to have something in your pocket. I like to go with, and then she kissed me, or uh, so I don't work there anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have something ready just in case. Okay, but what if like mid-story you realize that you can't do either of those things? How do you bail on a story? Well, if you absolutely can't land the plane, go ahead and press the eject button. My recommendation to you, this is what you should do. It's never happened to me, but I've seen it done. You're telling a story. You realize you have no ending. You can't think of something. Just pause in the middle of a sentence, stare off into the middle distance, and then say, oh, sorry, the cat was doing something cute with his paws. (laughs) All anybody will care about is the party cat. They'll never worry about you again. Party cat saves the day. Every time. Okay, so that's, uh, we've covered the endings of stories, but are there other things people need to look out for? If you're telling a story about being high and your audience is not high, don't tell that story. Yeah, but sometimes that can be funny. Nope, nope, no times, Lucas, no times. It's never funny. Uh... Also, this is a lot of uh, families at holiday parties. This one's going out to the uncles. If your story starts with, uh, I'm not racist, but... Don't tell that story. You're racist. Okay, so uh, uh, avoid a very racist Christmas. What else? Uh, This is a good piece of advice for you, too. If If you're in a group with somebody else, never say, Hey, do you remember that time? No, wait, let Alex tell it. He does a better job. Don't abdicate your story responsibility. But you're a really good storyteller. Why would I not just do that? Well, because you've got a favorite part. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to tell the story and then you're going to be like, oh, you forgot my favorite part. Like, you've got an agenda. Don't pass the ball. Go strong into the hole. What about the people listening to stories? Do they have a role in all this? Yeah, okay, so this one's really important. If you're my wife, and you're probably not, but if you are, and I'm telling a story and I exaggerate, If I lie about something, don't correct me during the story. Your wife and my wife have been doing a lot of collaborating on that. Yeah, my wife is great, but she is a, uh, she's she's just always working against artistic license. That's like her (laughs) crusade. If I tell a story and I say there's a dozen cops and there were only eight cops, don't fact check that. No story is better because it got an audit. That's... There are several people in the audience pointing at their partners right now, so (laughs) sorry that I got some of you in trouble. I feel, Alex, like any story you tell about a time you fought the cops is sufficient. I mean, I have to agree with your wife. I don't know if you need to embellish that. I'll tell you what. If I say that it was a dozen cops, it's because that's a better version than me fighting eight cops. Anyone can fight eight cops, but a dozen cops, that's a story. Because they were trying to arrest you because that $20 you found was actually in someone's wallet. Yeah, maybe you had to be there. All right. (laughs) Alex Falcone, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys so much. Some professional advice on party storytelling from our friend comedian Alex Falcone. This is Livewire Radio from PRI, and we're brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, where authentic Belgian beers, environmental stewardship, and social responsibility all live together under one roof. Which sounds like a lot, but it is a huge roof. Trust me. More information at newbelgium.com. That music could only mean one thing. It's time to reflect back on the last 54 minutes of radio. 
we leave out six minutes for Corva Coleman to do the news. What did we learn in the last hour, you guys? Announcer Jason Rouse, you pick up any gems of wisdom about things that are funny because they're true? I did. I learned uh, from the call from Todd Levin that if I'm ever to make uh, an important political point, I need to do it by hiding my stunning shapely legs. Yeah. That's, that's going to really that's undermine your message. Yeah. Good. That's a good takeaway. Alex Falcone. Uh, two things. One, uh, you can never trust Luke because Todd Levin might just be on the phone the whole time and he'll never tell you. Uh, and then also, uh, this is funny because it's true, there are people in Africa who got free goats who will never understand why or how. <laughs> that no matter what you say, they'll never get it. I, I found out this hour that um, turns out Big Hot Air Balloon has a very effective lobby because they have suppressed what a death trap that entire... And terrible way of proposing marriage, that entire operation is. I just thought it was for postcards and weird calendars my mom had, but no, very dangerous stuff. All right, listen, thanks everybody for spending this time with us. We really appreciate it. One more time, please give it up for Liz Vice on Livewire. And that's our show. Thanks, everybody.
Our thanks to our guests, Mike Sachs, Kurt Brownaller, and Liz Weiss. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Laughing Planet Cafe. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hommeister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, which also includes Alex Falcone. Graham Nystrom is our technical director, house sound by Neil Blake, stage management by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Oregon Cultural Trust, Work for Art, the Oregon Community Foundation, and listeners like you fine, beautiful people. Tonight we'd like to thank Joe Colley, Adam East, Harriet Hargrave, Matt Maggi, and everyone here at the Alberta Rose Theater for an amazing run. They have been an unbelievable team, and we have loved having the Alberta Rose as our home for the last four and a half wonderful years. For more information about our show and how to become a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.